0: Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am not going to be your host today. Today is a Les Dames d'Escaffier Nashville Chapter Table Talk Series episode. So, if you if you see that we do these episodes with Les Dames every once in a while and you wonder what it is, I will tell you. Um, we worked with them. Adi Patel, who's the managing director at the Hermitage Hotel, was on the show, and, and she was the president from Les Dames d'Escaffier. And I told her, I said, I would love to support you guys in whatever way that I can. And she said, hey, we're about to have these series of conversations with late Dom members. And if you could share them, that would be amazing. And I said, absolutely. I would love, love, love to do that. So me here supporting Ladom Dames I love what they're doing. And I want to tell you a little bit about Ladom Dames Uh, Here in Nashville, well, this is the LADAM's mission, okay? So we're wondering who they are, what they do. Here it is. To inspire, advance, and support women in food, beverage, and hospitality to achieve excellence in leadership and philanthropy. So that is what they do in a nutshell. Uh, They have a Nashville chapter. Andrea Lensley is the president now. And many, many, many amazing women Uh, are part of this group. They empower each other. They talk about leadership and how women can lead and I am here for it. So today's episode is going to be the official title is a conversation is the future of farming. So today we're going to have four people give us insight and expertise about the importance of local farming. We're going to have Sylvia Ganyer, who's the chief farm operator at Green Door Gourmet, Leanne Cherry, who's a co-owner at Bear Creek Farms, Krista Bentley, who's a co-owner at Sweeter Day Farms, he's also at the Nashville Food Project, and Tosh uh, Tosh Kennard of Southall Farms are going to be talking all about farming. And this is such an interesting conversation because I think more and more today we forget where our food comes from. And maybe you don't, but a lot of people just take it for granted. They expect food just to show up, and there are actual people that are working their asses off to make this happen. And today we get to talk to four of them that are doing that and just talk about what farming is like and the future of farming and a little insight into what their lives are like. So we're really excited to do this. Um, we don't really do a lot of sponsors on these episodes, but since I have two female owned companies, I just want to give them shout outs. Erin Moso over at Sharpier's Bakery. That is a fantastic, locally owned and operated woman owned company. Check them out at sharpier's.com. That's C H A R P I E R S.com if you want to support her and them. And then also What Chefs Want. Um, a lot of you know them as Creation Gardens or What Chefs Want. That is a female-owned company. I don't know if you guys knew that, but they're they are uh, they're based out of Louisville. They have a Nashville office, a uh, big warehouse here in Nashville. They work mainly with independent restaurateurs, and they are doing amazing things uh, out there every single day. So I wanted to give shout-outs to both of them, let you guys know. There are women-owned companies out there that you should be supporting right now. So without further ado, let's jump in uh, with this Table Talk series, The Future of Farming.
1: Today's webinar is going to feature insight and expertise about the importance of local farming from our LaDom's Nashville chapter members and local farming pros. We have Sylvia Gaynor joining us. She's the chief farm operator of Green Door Gourmet and Leanne Cherry, the co-owner of Bear Creek Farm. And Krista Bentley, the co-owner of Sweeter Days Farm and the Chief Programs Officer at the Nashville Food Project. You know, we all tuned in to hear from them and talk about the future of farming. So let's dig in and get this conversation going. Krista, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your farm and how you got into farming?
2: Yeah. Hi, everybody. It's good to be here. Like you said, my name is Krista. I co-own Sweeter Day's Farm with my husband, Todd Bentley, who runs it full time. And I really am farming on nights and weekends, I would say mostly. So it's it's been an adventure. We're about five years into our farm. I'm actually a Nashville native. So I grew up in Nashville, love Nashville. It really feels like home for me. I went to school at UT Knoxville. So I love Mass General Store from Knoxville, Leanne, and uh, studied environmental policy and got really interested after college and I think just like being outside a lot and really wanted my future career to make sure that I um, was spending a lot of time outside. Got really interested in agriculture. I mainly studied agriculture on the West Coast, worked on a bunch of farms there for about five years and then decided I wanted to move back to Nashville. So I uh, moved back shortly after that. I met my husband who uh, was in the military uh, before I met him and had just left the military and decided he wanted to start a farm. Uh, as well. So we met and sort of immediately jumped right into it and uh, started Cedar Days Farm five years ago. It's in Ashland City. Uh, So we sell to Clarksville and Nashville. We have uh, diversified vegetables, flowers. We started a small beef operation. We had turkeys and chickens this year and are primarily selling that through a CSA. So we have a pretty big CSA that we run as well as restaurant wholesale. And
1: yeah, I think that sums it up for for me. Great. Thank you, Krista. Leanne, tell us a little bit more about you.
3: Sure. So my name is Leanne Cherry. My family owns and operates Bear Creek Farm and Cherry Meat Company. Bear Creek Farm is a sustainable cattle and hog farm located in Williamson County, and we have a farm in Murray County. Um, So we basically farm 2,000 acres um, in addition to cattle and hogs. And you hear people say cattle farmers are grass farmers. So we grow grass and a lot of hay. Well, wait a minute, not that kind. A lot of hay. <laughs> uh, that's um, Taking care of the soil, uh, that's huge. I think that's a, a common theme for the three of the farmer, the panelists today. Uh, that's uh, so important to what we do as well. I, how I got into farming is a, a, a interesting. I fell in love with the farmer and then fell in love with the land. Um, my background was marketing and advertising and sales, and, and that's been helpful in, in growing our business. But Bill and I got married in May, and for those of you who know, you know, May is hay season. So I didn't realize that when we when we wed, and I quickly learned that if I wanted to spend time with my husband and my family, I need to learn to drive a tractor and rake and tet and bale hay. Baling is still not my strong suit. Um, you know, learn how to ride a horse, learn how to help birth a calf, and so did my kids. They had to learn that. And um, that was in 2006, and um, we basically, you know, haven't looked back. Um, the We, like uh, Krista, we do uh, wholesale accounts in, in Nashville. We have some business, some restaurants and butcher shops we work with outside of Nashville. Um, We have the farmer's market in Franklin. We also have opened a farm store on our farm and a small garden this year, basically for the family, but hoping to grow that. So that's pretty much our story and how that started and and really excited to be able to share these, these things with you guys today. So thank you.
1: I'm glad you met Bill. Uh, you've been such a treasure to our community, and I'm, I'm glad that you've joined the farming community here in Middle Tennessee. You. Sylvia, you've got a little bit of a love story as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into this.
4: So my name is Sylvia Ganyer, and I am
1: the youngest
4: daughter of a fifth-generation dairy farmer in North Carolina. I grew up farming, but I went very far away from that path as a youngster. I ended up working in radio and a little bit of television and singing and all of that sort of stuff I moved to Nashville got involved in hospitality married a Nashville guy that has a farm and here I am farming again Uh, I made the the statement when we first got married if I could have a small kitchen garden and my husband really doesn't understand middle ground very much so it's all or nothing so he fenced nine acres as my small kitchen garden (laughs) And that relationship, after having been in the restaurant industry, led to chefs and other consumers looking to buy products from us, and then that burgeoned into our farm, on-farm market, agritourism, working with beekeepers, growing heirloom crops uh, of all different sorts of things, trying to bring back some. We start were extinct. And we do a lot of specialty vegetables and cut flowers. So it was kind of a full circle uh, experience for me coming from a farming background, going back into a farming background, all because I married a Nashville native.
1: (laughs) Well, we all have key moments in our lives that, uh, that put us on this path and towards our purpose and you know, for some of us, it's been well paved and um, others it's been full of twists and turns. And I think everyone can see that the women on our panel have very diverse backgrounds and experiences, but the love and resolve for feeding our community uh, and their families is a common thread. So um, I, I want them to share a little bit more about their farming practices. These are very diverse farm operations, and uh, I learned a lot when we were prepping for this call about either how they're currently farming or how they were farming and how they've transitioned that over the years. So, we'll start off with Leanne, and if you want to tell us, uh, you know, what's going on on your cattle farm and and how you're doing it, and uh, and then we'll go to Sylvia and then Krista next.
3: Perfect. So our farming practices. To tell you a little bit about that, um, we do a rotational. Grazing, and um, that's pretty self-explanatory. But basically, each pasture. And as I mentioned before, there's over 2,000 acres that we farm. Um, cattle will stay in a pasture, and then they'll move to another pasture, and then move to another pasture. And that that helps utilize their nutrition better. You know, for the fresh grasses. It also helps the land heal by getting them off the land for a period of time. Um, so that's that's an important part of our farm. And that's a, a, an integral part of our farming. That's one of our farming practices. Uh, the uh, another thing that we learned really the hard way because of the drought of 08, was we implemented an automatic integrated watering system here at the farm. So all the animals have access to fresh clean water where before we were filling uh, water troughs up uh, with the water truck, and in the winter, of course, that freezes, and you have to break the ice. So it, it seems pretty archaic now, but you know that was the way things were done. Um, so we haven't uh, we have implemented the watering system, system which is fantastic. An- another part of our uh, farming practice is just the the immense respect and gentle farming methods that we have for our animals, and anyone that's raising. Cattle, in know, a, in a, the the way we do or any livestock would uh, put that up with food and water because that it can really make an, a difference in in just how the animal is treated in the end product. So, like Sylvia's, you know, ribs we were talking about earlier, um, that was so important to us that in 2012 we bought a processing facility, and our daughter Paige runs that, and that that ensures the humane handling. All the way through, so there's there's nothing there's at no time is the animal out of our hands, out of your farmer's hands. Um, as far as like what's going on the farm now, it's fall, so we have a calving season, and that's one of my favorite times on the farm. Of course, the the calves are being born. Um, we have started in, we have started an AI program, artificial insemination. Uh, not artificial intelligence. Um, and that has really upped our game with the genetics and uh, genetics are super important with, the, with what we do. Um, it's right up there with the, you know, the health of the animal. Um, our son is an animal science major. So we have a full-time animal science major on the farm and he's been very instrumental in helping with uh, conditioning of our animals, particularly the heifers, which are first time moms um, their body condition has to be at a, a certain level, you know, for them to become moms. And that has been, uh, uh, something, a marching order that he's had, and he's done a really good job. And our other son is a business major and he is, uh, slowly taking over my job. So, um, which is a f- part of our farming, uh, practices it, it, utilizing all of our children. <laughs> so, um, that's, uh, that's been, a great source of pride for for me as well.
1: Great, Sylvia, you wanna tell us a little bit about the farming practices at Green Door Gourmet.
4: Sure, so um, when we started out, of course, we were very small. Um, We were doing everything organically because we were so small, that was the only way to do it and we absolutely fell in love with doing those organic practices. We became certified organic and we stayed certified organic with the USDA for five years. And then we realized that our customers had built such a level of trust with us that instead of involving basically 700 pages of paperwork every year, we would drop the certified organic uh, from the government and just farm in an organic practice and invite people to come out to our farm. And that really helped us build the agritourism. Um, We have an open door policy. We're happy to show you around our farm and tell you about what we're doing at any point in time. That led us into the next phase, if you will, um, working a little bit with some biodynamics, but also focusing first and foremost now on regenerative agriculture and bringing that level of making sure we're doing the right rotations that we are not farming the same thing over and over again just as Leanne is doing rotational grazing we're doing rotational crops we're bringing some different grain. Um, we're working with other neighboring farms to uh, to make sure that we're doing exactly what needs to be done to bring soil health and making that first and foremost onto our farm. So that's super important to us. We also added a manufacturing component into what we're doing because we saw that there was so much potential for waste. One tiny bruise on something uh, meant it was not salable from a consumer standpoint. So we built a manufacturing kitchen where we can take um, over uh, stock, if you will, or slightly damaged or bruised, something and turn it into fantastic things that we can have in our farm store uh, and and try to become as close to zero waste as possible on our farm and strive to be a very customer-focused uh, entity in, in what we do. That is as important as how we take care of the soil is taking care of our employees and taking care of our customers
2: as well. That's kind of how we do it.
1: Awesome. Krista, tell us a little bit about Sweeter Days and what you're doing there.
2: Yeah. Gosh, Sylvia is living the dream. I would iterate a lot of what Sylvia said about the soil health and all of that. I mean, I just think that's so important to having a sustainable farm. I would say we're we're a little bit different. So we really, uh, first of all, we're on land that we lease. So we own across the street from our farm, but we don't actually own the the land that our farm is on. So that takes just a huge commitment to the work to not own the land that we're on. But I would say, you know, land access is such a huge issue right now, especially with young farmers. So we really started with like no resources. We were very young and kind of just dove right in. So we actually built our entire farm by hand at first we broad forked and used shovels and our backs and built a pretty big farm that way we finally did get some uh equipment in in about year three <laughs> and got a walk behind tractor year three and then this year have just finally invested in um in a tractor which I love so I would just reiterate what what Sylvia said I mean we're we're Farming on about an acre and a half to two acres at most. So the name of the game for us is really soil health to make sure that when we're turning over beds repeatedly, we're really able, I mean, you, you see it when you're on that small of a scale, the sins that you, uh, did last season are coming back to get you this season if you were not, um, really focusing on soil health. So, um, We are constantly trying to add compost, we're trying to decrease our fertilizer use, although we do use some organic fertilizer. Um, I would reiterate what Sylvia said, we have never been certified organic, um, but would say that our practices are far surpassing that. Um, It really is an issue of time and money to get certified organic uh, for us, and just didn't feel worth it. Although similarly, we really, Um, invite anybody to come out to our farm. And I would say are inspired to grow really sustainably because of the customers we have. We have customers who have been with us for five years who were pregnant the first year that they were with us and now we're feeding their children. And I think that really pushes us to make sure that we're doing the best we can for the food that we're providing for them. We have also uh, started a little flower production, and I think that has really helped uh, planting some perennial flowers um, and and hedgerows to really support um, native habitat. We put in a ton, my husband loves birds, so we put in a ton of nesting boxes and really try to decrease uh, decrease pests in that way. Um, We, invested in some animals to try to make our own compost. And then we have, um, even before tractors, invested in some high tunnels. And we just like absolutely love high tunnels. I think they've really, really supported our production in really incredible ways. Um, So I think that's a little bit about what we do.
1: Thank you. You've all come at this from very different backgrounds and, uh, you know, had to find resources to either learn about the practices that you're employing on your farms, Or um, uh, you know, kind of catch up to speed to what maybe uh, maybe the generations prior to you had been doing on the farm, and was that presenting your farm in a way that was viable for the future health of of the soil and of the land and of the community around you? And you know, I hear a lot about networking and community building in the farm community and resource development. Sylvia, you've served as a, as a launching pad for a lot of young farmers and a training ground where uh, folks gather and, um, you know, do networking meetings and host their activities and go to beekeeping classes. You've seen a lot of faces over the years as as you've played host to this. Tell us about that journey and why, why you've really positioned Green Door Gourmet to, uh, to be a place where farmers can come to network and learn, and then maybe dig into some of the labor challenges that your farm has faced at the same time?
4: Well, modern farming is situated inside the community. That is the only way small to moderate farms are, are going to survive. That is a part of that whole integral sustainability. And for us, being Um, a a larger parcel of land inside the Nashville city limits, dealing with some of those challenges and figuring that out. We thought, what a better way to help the community than to begin with the people who are growing our food. As many people probably listen to this know, 1% of our population is now producing the food in our country. And people are so far removed from it. So if there's an opportunity for inspiration or knowledge, education has to be the key. We've been very lucky to host a lot of different field trips um, and also farm gatherings and that, that sort of thing to help people understand that it has to start with farming. We all have to eat. And that has been the driving force in what we try to do with the community. If we don't have farmers, we don't have food. And that may sound like an old cliche, but it's very, very true. And... Um, It also is important that we think about from the labor standpoint, not a lot of people that 1% are willing to commit to do the type of work that it takes to be a farmer. It is hot. It is cold. It is Uh, full of bugs, full of mud, all the things that most people say, the proverbial Eve, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, It's physically demanding. It is mentally taxing when you never know what mother nature is going to give you. So the opportunity for us to share, even if it's it's for a day of volunteering, if you're thinking about being a farmer, you probably know if this is going to be for you Uh, It is not for the faint of heart. So if we are able to just give people a sneak peek into what that looks like, challenge them a little bit, and if they are interested, continue on, that's great. We actually went from being very small to having about 35 uh, on-farm employees, and now we're back small again. So as we're figuring out how to uh, deal with some of the labor challenges and issues uh, that the pandemic and just finding uh, what agriculture pay can pay, Those challenges, we've decided that small is not a bad thing. Small but mighty and efficient is very good.
1: Krista, as a new farmer, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, it's quite a journey to get access to land. and, uh, and also finding the resources to mentor you and, you know, learn how to farm. Uh, what, what has that been like for you? Who did you turn to? Um, and then what advice would you have for uh, the future farmers on the call who are looking to get started?
2: Yeah, Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, uh, like I said at the beginning, I think I'm a Nashville native, so I'm really lucky and I think wouldn't have been able to do what we did without the resources and support system that I have and we have here in Nashville. Um, And I think we have an incredible farming community here, um, which I think is really unique and beautiful um, and has not always been the case everywhere I've lived. So I I really love our farming community here. Um, I didn't talk about this much at the beginning, but um, I would say my sort of support network is really the National Food Project and has been sort of leaning on that community. Um, I have always had an off farm job, I I think um, will continue to probably have an off farm job uh, for a long time. So, um, you know, I think that community has really been what I've leaned on um, through these hard times of of beginning farming. I would say, uh, I guess I have a lot of <laughs> things I wish I had thought about when we started. Um, and like I said, i co- said it a couple of times, we really just jumped in. Like we were just like ready to farm. And I think really had sort of a romanticized, I mean, despite the fact that we had both been farming and had both been outside a lot and had done a lot, I, I think we had really sort of a romanticized idea of what the day-to-day looks like. And, um, you know, I have this joke like, really what we're doing is rubber banding vegetables all day. (laughs) We do very little farming. Um, But uh, yeah, I guess I would just say, you know, like understanding the realistic, uh, the reality of owning a farm um, is so important. like talking to farmers who have been in it for a really long time and learning from them, working on other farms um, and being ready to like work really, really hard. um, Because ultimately that's what it comes down to is, is your labor and time and love for it uh, is what you're gonna put in and what you're gonna get out. Um, I think, you know, planning ahead of time, just like really having the right piece of land and, and really thinking about the most efficient way to build up that piece of land is incredibly important for somebody who's getting into farming. Um, and then I think just like with everything in this life, uh, resilience is like the, the most important skill that you can have as a farmer um, because there are really hard days and there are really good days and you do the hard days to get to the good days. Um, so I think that's a very small amount of what I've learned in five years and I'm sure I have a lot more to learn.
1: That's great. You should write a uh, beginning farmer little guidebook uh, because those little nuggets uh, are critical to someone just making it through that first year, uh, which is so difficult, as as you all know. It, Leanne, you were sharing um, uh, a little bit about how your farm is preparing to hand down to the next generation. Uh, you know, was that the expectation all along? Uh, did your kids have an option to? Uh, no to opt in or out of the farm? And then, you know, what is their plan B if someone decides to take a different path?
3: Well, uh, you know, I've been in farming now 15 years. I I know this sounds mauling, but the the exit strategy is death. I mean, (laughs) um, yes, our children had, of course, options. They could farm or they could farm, Um, but uh, they, my three kids um, love the farm. Um, my my husband has two children, so we have five together. Uh, the other two are very successful in their careers, and I think a lot of that has to do with the work ethic that they learn from from farming, from living on a farm, being exposed to that kind of work. Um, you know, I know Sylvia, if you were on a dairy farm, that I have a huge amount of respect that that's you know milking twice a day, every day, 365 days a year. We have friends that have uh, dairy farms and you know, the first vacation he took, uh, he was 40 something years old. They went to Hawaii, he, he and his wife went to Hawaii's first vacation he took, he couldn't play sports. It was farming all the time. Um, so uh, the family farm in, in trying to keep a family farm, a generational farm is very difficult. Um, with the increase in land costs I mean if you think about it even if you can pass your land down and, and you put those systems in place um in we have land in Williamson County and then your kids may go you know they can sell the land and make uh make money and uh in, in instead of farming luckily they're they love farming and that they have a passion in it. It is difficult though to navigate that and we're continue to navigate that. Um, there's a lot of uh, smarter people than we are, of course, that can help us figure out how to hand the farm down. But um, if any of you guys have started that process, it, it's, it's not an easy process. Um, with, it's interesting though, because each of our children have a, a gift and a strength that the, the to you know together it will be uh, they will be able to continue this um, with our daughter running the processing plant, which is a huge component to what we do, and then are uh, our, both our boys on the farm. Uh, it it makes up for you know a good business plan for them, and of course the option is yes, there is a an option. You know you sell the farm and and you do something else, but. Uh, we are trying to put systems in place that they'll be able to keep the farm. Uh, we have a, a slew of grandchildren, and um, they're interested in, in playing on the farm and riding horses and throwing dirt. So that might um, segue into a career in farming. And I really like, you know, when I talk to young farmers, it's important for them to know um, that it, it is really tough work. And like Krista and Sylvia both said, I mean, being resilient in the weather is a huge factor. You know, it's, it can get really cold and it can get really hot and, um, and it can be very uncomfortable, but it can be the most intrinsically rewarding work. And I speak for myself and I'm sure um, the other panelists, these lovely ladies can agree cause they wouldn't be doing it. It is the most intrinsically rewarding work I have ever done, um, maybe except for parenting. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're just thrilled that we're able to continue farming. And I was very fortunate that my husband and my husband's family had this gorgeous land that we could uh, take advantage of.
1: Well, the last twenty months have uh, have been difficult for for everyone, um, and in particular for for farmers. Uh, we've uh, we've been up against supply chain issues. We've been up against um, you know closures uh, in commerce and navigating how to find. Uh, find our customers uh, when everyone was at home. So uh, let's let's go around uh, around the panel, starting with Sylvia, and and talk about uh, how the COVID pandemic impacted your operations, and and if there was a silver lining in there for uh, for your farm, you know what was it, and um, and what's what's coming out of the pandemic for your farm?
4: Pandemic for us was a blessing and a curse. Um, It was 50-50 split, where it impacted all the agritourism, 5,000 students couldn't come for their field trip education, no agritourism events at all, Um, an increased demand. Um, March, a year ago, was the, the panic of, oh my gosh, there is nothing anywhere, there won't be anything, we've got to fill every freezer known to mankind. So the panic buying had set in, and people couldn't find things in groceries, and they wanted fresh. So um, people that we had never seen before are now showing up to our farm, hoping for something. And with that, that also brought out the best and the worst in, in humanity as well for the people who um, were not prepared to deal with the pandemic, um, tempers and people not wanting to wait in line and not wanted to follow the rules. And for us being a small farm, we have to figure out how to keep people safe and how, what we have to do to make sure that happens. So there was a lot of that, oh my gosh, how do we figure this out? Dealing with the, with the public as a, as a necessary business. But then there was also the beautiful points of you would see uh, you know, a, a family drive up to the farm and uh, they have the back seat full of kids and they're trying to figure out how they're going to piece together food because now they, they can't work and they hand you four different credit cards and ask you to, to spread it, you know, how $10 on this card and maybe $5 on this and so they can get enough groceries to last something fresh for the kids and then you figure out as a farmer, okay, what can I do? You come back with a little bag of, of slightly bruised or damaged apples, so the kids can have an extra treat because they're not going to get school lunch lunch is not there anymore so um, the weight of that for farmers I don't think a lot of people thought about the impact of trying to make sure that our community can be fed so that was that was a hard challenge for us not wanting to turn anyone away how do you spread the love and spread the food um, in the right way for for everyone to be able to um, sustain during that time and have fresh, healthy food, not just, um, you know, click and have something delivered that was a, a pack of you know, Twinkies. So we wanted to make sure people were getting good nutrition as well. So that was that was a big challenge for us, navigating all of that and trying to keep the integrity of saying, well, I know you've had to cancel an event and how do we carry that forward and, and try to help you with that instead of saying, well, you know, sorry, you're, you're lost. So a lot of, um, a lot of issues surrounding that impacted our farm as well but I do hope that uh, our customers saw us in a different light as as a partner and not just um, someone who is is in it for what I can sell to you but a community partner and that we care about.
1: Krista how about you?
2: Yeah um I would say (laughs) 50-50 split is a good way to say it um you know being in farming in that moment was such a uh it was really intense because, you know, you have a business model that you think is, um, viable and all of a sudden that kind of gets flipped on its head. Meanwhile, I think it really was just, can you meet the demand because there were people sort of knocking. I mean, we had people pulling up to our farm. We, we are not really a public farm so much. We're at the end of a dead end road and, uh, you know, people are showing up like here to get produce that you've never met before. Um, And I think uh, realizing for me, at least, uh, you know, I think we all sort of understand that food is essential as farmers, but uh, really realizing sort of the impact of a really fragile food system and how easily that can get kind of flipped on its head and all of a sudden, you know, this thing that you already knew was essential is becoming incredibly essential to so many in our community. Um, So I think it was really this this question of how do we meet the demand and kind of build a new business model overnight to try and sell all this food. And we were really lucky that we had a really incredible spring um, harvest that year. So um, that was really our biggest biggest learning was, changing, changing everything overnight. And how do you do that? And, and, um, and we were able to do that. We actually ended up investing in some software, uh, that allows people to customize their CSA boxes. So we had, you know, you have your sort of like people who are CSA members who understand that, but we were having a lot of new people who had like never bought local food before. And so we really wanted to make sure that they were able to get the food that they wanted uh, from our farm. So we did end up investing in that. Um, and really, you know, focused on, we're very lucky in that we have diversified streams of income. So while all of the restaurants, um, closed down, we were able to just really sort of focus on these individuals. Um, but also like our heart was aching for all of these like incredible customers that we've had and and like the really horrible, hard couple of years that restaurants have had. Um, I think talking about silver, silver linings, um, I mean, I think last year was just sort of an aha moment for a lot of people as it as it comes to food system and understanding um, where your food comes from and that it's not maybe always gonna be in the grocery store just because it always has been. Um, so I, I think just sort of that, that realization was really incredible to watch in a lot of ways and to be a farmer during that time in particular and be able to fill that need was really incredible. Um, And then I think, you know, I also live in this world of food access all day at the National Food Project, and I think seeing people sort of band together in a, in a way, like we weren't able to be together, but there was this sort of sense of like overwhelming community that I feel sort of built up last year and supporting each other and helping each other through a really hard time. Um, and I feel like that has stayed in a lot of ways. Uh, we, we've been able to keep customers that we got last year who had never bought from local farms um, and I think people just sort of realize these issues that are so intrinsic to how our systems are built um, that uh, aren't just going away overnight. So I, I feel like that aha moment and that like kind of sense of community building, despite not being able to be together, were sort of my silver linings from last year. I think you might be muted, Tasha.
1: I uh, Leanne, I was just giving you big props. Um, I know it was a big challenge to be a meat producer uh, during the pandemic, uh, you know, not just um, from the restaurant supply um, issues that that your farm was facing, but also the processing component. Tell us a little bit about uh, the unique challenges of your farm during the pandemic and um, some of the ways that you guys have begun to overcome that.
3: Yeah, so um, you know when Sylvia was talking about the March, I mean it was like Tuesday, March twelfth. Uh, we lost eighty to eighty five percent of the business. The the folks we were farming with had to close their doors because we we pretty much you know work with the small independent restaurants, and um, and that was uh, very uh, I mean just tragic, and. I, I And I I think I shared with you guys, I I was in Atlanta on a, I I say Tuesday, everything happens on a Tuesday. I was in Atlanta and um, the restaurants I was delivering to, I found out they closed down via Instagram. So um, I remember calling, I was on the phone with our team, which is our family. And uh, they're like, we're going to open the farm store tomorrow. And we opened it up on a Wednesday and, um, it was very—I uh, don't know—humbling is the right word, but the support of the community, and of course, as Chris said, and, and we all remember, there was a the food—the food supply was uh, dismal at best. You know, the the lack of food at the grocery stores. The food that was there was—I don't know exactly what it was. If any of you guys saw it, in um, the panic, um, and all—all uh, all of the those concerns that our community had and they came out and supported us at the farm store I mean cars were lying down the road and, and we it, too had people just showing up on um, and I what the story that Sylvia said does resonate too and you have folks showing up with you know their family in their car and and not the resources that perhaps they need to to nourish their family and I, and I think most all farmers, because we're so blessed with the bounty, you know, um, you, you share. And um, the, the, commun- the community really got us through and continue to, uh, you know, it, it's still a struggle, uh, you know, with the uh, increased um, input costs for all of us, um, you know, uh, labor, fuel, uh, if, if you're putting any uh, crops in, I, I know corn's expensive, so we continue to to see um, the supply chain issues are continue to go on, and um, the so with Bear Creek Farms and we were not diversified. I mean, I I've, I've told talked to folks, and there was no business model that ever suggested you need to be prepared for a pandemic. You know, we thought because we had diversified in different restaurants and different markets, you know who's going to lose all their all you know who's going to lose 20 restaurants in a day well it happened so it did what, it did have us rethink our business plan we didn't have a retail presence we have a, a little bit better retail presence we have a little bit more of an online presence that's still an area for us to work on in agritourism that isn't something that we have uh, either so we learned the hard way that we had um, not diversified efficiently and uh, and we're building some new rungs on the ladder for that. Um, on the processing side, uh, Paige immediately started reaching out to other farmers because with the tragedy that happened in the pandemic, it opened doors up for farmers to sell food to the community because there wasn't any. And it also uh, enabled, you know, because of Bear Creek Farms, like we didn't have a, the business to harvest our animals. So we just, you know, we just will continue feeding them. Um, I have a policy, we don't harvest unless it's sold. And so they got pretty big. (laughs) Um, So other farmers had the opportunity to come to Cherry Meat Company, harvest their animals. We had farmers offering to buy our animals for, you know, like if you have anything hanging, we can help you sell it. I mean, the community came together. It's Krista and Sylvia both. Now, I mean, it's a very supportive community. Um, And we had the opportunity to help other farmers uh, Get their beef and pork and lamb to the community. So that was very uh, poignant to to be able to do that. And, and that also showed us that we had a an opportunity at Cherry Meat Company for an expansion because that's a, an a very difficult uh, processing is is limited in our in middle Tennessee. There's just a handful of small processors, and we're one of them. And so we took uh, the opportunity to apply for a grant and um, uh, expand oh, almost double the size of Cherry Meat Company. It's still a, still under construction. I mean, we're able to still work, but you know, the the other half of the processing facility should open up. We have a year's waiting list, on um, so that that's a real need there. And so we're hoping that um, as the community has embraced local. Uh, ag- agriculture, I think, more so in the last year and a half because of the pandemic. It, you guys, we've talked about a silver lining um with the expansion of our processing facility. I think we're going to be able to really help get uh, more more local food in the, into the community. I hope That's I no, Natasha, you, you did
1: a, you did a great job,
4: Natasha. Before you move on, the. Uh, For the silver lining, I guess the most important thing, the silver lining for me, was knowing what I did not want to do anymore. That was just as important as knowing what I wanted to do, but knowing what I didn't want to do, just like Leanne was saying, she probably didn't want to go out and uh, bust ice off water troughs for the cows. Uh, I think we all learned what we we didn't want to do as much as what we wanted to do. So I just wanted to, to put that in there too.
1: Well, and that goes in line with some other conversations that I've been having uh, with, with folks across the state. I was just talking to Keith Harrison uh, with the Tennessee Department of Ag last week, and uh, we were talking about this grant program that came out of, uh, out of federal funding that was passed down to the state of Tennessee that I believe you know Leanne's farm benefited from. I know when I was at the Nashville Farmers Market, we also benefited from that, um, that grant program to try to uh, improve and innovate within the food system to um, to create efficiencies in the local supply chain, uh, it sounds like more of that funding is uh, is coming our way in Tennessee in the near future, uh, and we're talking about you know forty to fifty million dollars of uh, investment that the Tennessee Department of Ag is hoping to to put in the hands of farmers over the course of the next few months. Uh, this this going off script a little bit, but. Uh, very quickly, you know, uh, how could farms tap into this funding uh, to innovate, to improve marketing, uh, to utilize technology, to create efficiencies? You know, do you have any anything that you want to share with the group uh, as, as we near the end of our conversation today? Leanne, I'm going to pick on you first.
3: Yeah, so uh, I definitely recommend for anyone that's in farming. Uh, or, or looking to, uh, to get into farming, to, to go to that, and I don't have that link, it, it's pretty easy to, to find, to navigate through the grant system, uh, the grant program. You know, sometimes these grants will offer, um, I know there's a, a farmer in Fayetteville, like, <clears throat> they, they were able to get like a large uh, a walk-in uh, cooler and freezer on their farm. So uh, you, you don't, you really don't think about some of these other auxiliary expenses that you have or how, you know, maybe it's not buying a new farm or, or a tractor, but it, it can help keep, uh, so like you so say, you can get your animals processed, or if you can get a, you have your harvest in and you have this area to keep it cool or frozen, if it's a meat product, you know, they can help pay for that. Um, they're also, uh, and, and I don't have all the. Uh, particulars about the grant program but they're also offering for if you wanted to open a what they call a custom processing facility where you could harvest uh, animals for your family and other people's family not for resale uh, there's the grant money for that and I know farmers that are taking advantage of that and getting it really close to USDA in the event they can you know want to pull the trigger on that no pun intended um but there's a very a lot of grant opportunities, and we've been remiss uh, oftentimes not following up on those. You know, you get busy, and the deadline is like ugh, But do uh, you know? Do your research and look and see what is available. Even the um, ag extension program has uh, matching funds. That's how we got we got the watering system. Um, you know, we fenced off our creeks. That was part of the the deal, which we needed to do. And we want to be sure that our water supply for humans is is intact and, and the integrity is still there. And so, you know, that was a, a good deal for us. Sure, we got that fence, and then we have this incredible watering system that we were able to take advantage of some grant programs for that. So, I don't have all the particulars on that one, but I do know there's a lot of money that's going to become available. And I think, um, you know, the Tennessee farmers need to. To you know, utilize that, and and even you know, uh, new farmers can check into that and see, you know, that's a good way to get some revenue started up because you know, Krista, as you know, it's um, those equipment that that tractors not inexpensive, is it? <laughs> so uh, yeah, definitely uh, look into that. We had just we had just received an email, and I'll be glad to forward that to to anybody. Um, um, from the ag department on, on some additional grant money that's becoming available for Tennessee farms.
1: Thank you so much, Leanne. Um, we've just got a few minutes left, and uh, I've got to get this last question in before we open up the chat room. Uh, I know it's something that's important to all of us uh, on this panel today. Uh, you know, in 2020, 10% of American households were uh, reported food insecure, and that means they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Uh, they don't have the cash to go to the grocery store uh, or to go to the the farmer's market or to find the farm stand. Um, and, you know, I think all of us uh, live in our hearts where we believe that there there's a world with uh, access to fresh, healthy food for everybody. Um, so, Chris, I'm, I'm going to throw this softball up to you. Um, you know, knowing that you're wearing two hats today and and you've worked in food security and worked in farming, Um, you know, how can farms play a role to improve access to fresh, healthy food for all in, in our community?
2: Yeah, that is such a good question. And I think it's a, it's a complicated question, but it's also so simple in a lot of ways. Um, you use that statistic 10%. Um, I think in Nashville, it may have been a little bit higher, um, Specifically, I think that what we talk about is just even just lacking access to proper nutrition. I mean, maybe you have the access, but what you're getting is not, is not, um, the best. And, you know, as we all know here, I think food is your health, your food is your health. Um, so I think that's just important, but a statistic that we often use at the food project as well is that 40% of all food in the United States goes to waste, um, So when you line those statistics up, um, it really is this access of, it's it's an issue of access and distribution. Um, So how do we take this food that is literally being thrown away? um, And you saw that at the beginning of the pandemic, you saw milk farmers throwing all of their milk away because they're dumping it out because schools weren't opening and that was their their outlet. Um, So it's this issue of how do we create access uh, for the people who don't have access, I think, and farmers play a role in that for sure. Um, I would say at the food project, you know, we, we use a lot of food from farmers and we're really lucky to have a relationship with a lot of local farmers that when there is an excess or, you know, Sylvia's talking about these apples that have a little blemish on them. We are happy to use those and, uh, make them into applesauce and it's just as good. Um, so I think, you know, finding your local food bank and or um, organization who's willing to take donated food is a huge piece of that for local farms. Um, and I'll also just throw props out to Society of St. Andrew who will actually come and glean right off of your farm. Um, so maybe you have a bunch of kale and you're about to turn it into uh, back into the soil, but uh, there's still a bunch of food there and they'll actually come out and harvest it for you and then give it to somebody like the food project. Um, so I think there are ways that we can really decrease our food waste um, as local farmers and get that back into the community before we put in the compost. I think it's it's such a, uh, we do live in this abundance as farmers of just sort of, I don't wanna say taking for granted, but just sort of like having so much food that it really is easy to compost it. Um, and I think if we can get away from that and really find the outlets for it, then there are people who
1: are working on that
2: access side of things.
1: That's fantastic. You know, we, we have a, a few minutes left and we wanna make sure that uh, that we uh, open up our chat room. And as we do that, um, you know, it, it sounds a little bit like we've gone back to the future with, with farming here. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that y'all have talked about are things that My grandmother would have talked about uh, who grew up on a large dairy farm in Sumner County. Um, You know, uh, many of the practices are the things that I I watched her practice on her kitchen garden. You know, three acre plot behind her house, Um, and it's it it really goes back to honor and respect for the land, and and guided by stewardship principles that um, uh, that that protect the land for the now and the present and the future. So I, I, I want to thank you all for the hard work that you're doing. Um, you know, the, the future is is hopeful and optimistic here in Middle Tennessee, at least with, uh, with the three of you at the helm of, of farming in our community. Um, and I'm sure that some of our panelists have some questions that they want to throw at you. So we're going to check over to the chat room here. If anybody has a question, um, feel free to... Uh, to put it in chat here. Someone did actually text me a question, which, uh, which is awesome. Um, and so the question that was texted to me was, um, uh, how are farms, uh, well, and it just came in through the chat room too. Uh, how are farms responding to climate change uh, and um, how is your farm specifically addressing it? So I'm going to throw that one over to Sylvia for a quick answer.
4: Well, I think uh, the most important thing we can do as farmers is know that um, that we deal with weather every day, and as we ha- see these changing weather 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 patterns and, and climate change in general, we may have to adjust what we're planting, when we're planting it, um, using more hoop house and greenhouse growing Um so that we're able to protect from humidity and bugs and and different things. So I think it's using all the tools in your arsenal, but also knowing you may just have to adjust to growing more Asian style greens instead of cold weather greens. So those are components that farmers have in their toolbox. And also since a lot of climate change has been caused by large volume farming, the more we can, again, work on having our smaller scale farms being good stewards of our land versus just turning it all over to big conventional agriculture. I think we're going to see uh, a better reduction in those emissions and everything too. Uh,
1: another question that came in that's related to that. Uh, I think it's a follow-up and a good one at that is, um, is anyone looking at carbon farming? You've got, you know, all of these large corporations in America making commitments to become carbon neutral by, uh, by a certain time frame. It, are any of your farms looking at, uh, carbon farming at this time
4: we're not it. yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. you know i was just in a room uh uh, last week again with a a large number of farmers there were probably 100 farmers in the room and no one raised their hand when that question came up either i think it's too early um you know the the systems aren't set up for how it's going to be regulated um you know they're asking for long-term leases on on something that there's no process for right now so um you know, I do think that that is in the future, um, very near, uh, and you know, it. There's a lot of kinks that need to get worked out, and a lot of um, knowledge and understanding that has to happen within the farm community and and even the corporate community. For what's the real value of that, and and how does that value translate to protecting farms? Well, I want to thank everybody for uh, for your time today. Uh, thank you to our panelists. Uh, I've learned so much from them in the past few weeks. Just getting ready for this call. Um, highly encourage you to find these farms. Uh, you know, find them uh, on their websites, on their social media, at their place of business, whether they're at farmers markets or uh, a farm stand uh, on their farm. Make sure that we're supporting them. And uh, and I also want to thank Ladoms Nashville for uh, for putting this on today uh, as part of the series. Uh, that's gone on throughout the year and again to the women's fund of the community foundation of middle tennessee uh please remember to uh to take the survey as it comes out to you later this afternoon and uh every time someone submits a survey that's one more registrant for our awesome prizes uh and those winners will be announced once the survey closes so uh with that said we uh we appreciate spending the afternoon with you and we look forward to uh continuing to do so in the future thank you
2: Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody.
0: Thanks. Bye. All right. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening. And thank you to LaDom, Descafier, Nashville, and all of the farmers we got to hear today. Some very, very interesting stuff going on right there. I hope that you enjoyed it. We have got two more episodes. We've got a Wednesday show this week, a Wednesday Rewind, and then we've got a breaking news kind of a fun episode coming up thursday it is a secret show and it's gonna be a bonus episode cannot wait to have this one go live so a little teaser there for you hope that you guys are doing wonderful hope you're being safe go get vaccinated or go get your booster and i love you guys